Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas, and today we're going to be doing a little season preview ahead of F1 2020. Uh, joining me today is Autosport Magazine editor Kevin Turner. How are you, Kev? Yeah, very good. We're in the process of putting our F1 preview magazine together out on March 12th. So, uh, yeah, we've, uh, this is a quick break from uh, all the pages processing the copy that you filed and some of the copy that... You have yet to find. I know, one, one more yeah, outstanding done, done to go right, in. It's yeah, quite it's a tight turnaround with testing, yeah. but we've got that. I understand there's been a test of uh, uh, facilities and systems should the UK, <laughs> should, should should the country grind to a halt due to the coronavirus, which we will get onto oh, that's come up early. in a Formula um, One context, but how's, how's that gone? Uh, I would say... It's uh, not re- be- remote working is what we're referring yeah, to. Yeah, so trying to see if we can produce the magazine without being in the office at all, um, just in case that actually comes to pass Fingers crossed it doesn't. so that we can then come up with a list of problems to solve for when it if and when it actually happens so i think it's been it's been moderately successful good it's still going on now i've taken some time out uh, to do this um and i'll be testing a little bit more over the weekend to see uh, if there's anything else that uh, we, we can or can't do good very good well i mean to make light of a very very serious situation for a moment it's good to know that autosport will endure uh, also joining me is uh, Jake Boxall-Leg, Autosports Technical Editor. How are you, Jake? Uh, I'm good. Uh, as you say, lots of coronavirus in the news. I've been heading up the news desk the last few days. So you have on autosport.com, yes. All of that kind of thing has been happening. Um, so it's been a little bit of a departure away from the usual tech nonsense I have to usually trudge through but i'm sure i can reprise that role for this podcast and uh, make everybody enjoy the world of tech once more i'm a little bit concerned by jbl's seating position he looks like the microphone he's sort of trying to get him yeah, you do look quite scared of your microphone you, you, you look that doesn't look like a comfortable position to be in are you all right I, um I, just... I, I could probably move it at some point <laughs> okay see I if feel... you can do it without um the listeners cutting onto that well i mean sadly the listeners won't be able to see what uh what jbl is uh grappling with at the moment but he certainly seems to be mildly terrified of his mic because that's a good, good start for a podcast now. excellent right well jake you and i were, uh, were in barcelona for most of february it seemed uh six days of testing at the circuit de catalonia barcelona or is it the other way around these days not sure um did you enjoy your your six days over two weeks there pre-season testing is always good fun it's always good fun to go and see the cars out on track uh try and work out where everybody is what everybody's doing uh, obviously, there is always the yearly gauntlet of the uh, not-so-lovely burger van um, that is there to sustain uh, the punters at the circuit. Um, but otherwise, apart from that, it was all good. A um, little bit nice to get out of uh, what was quite horrible weather in the UK. And yeah, it's quite cold to come back to, let's face it. Yeah, and a little bit windy. So, But yeah, I think we learned a lot, a lot of interesting things, which I'm sure we'll get into during the process of the podcast. Indeed. Now, Kev, you put together our uh, Who Won the Testing War feature obviously a bit of hyperbole there in the title 
what do you make of what you saw from testing so far so far in its entirety uh, well after the first test i think we were all a bit sort of well depressed is probably a bit strong given other things in the news but um yeah because mercedes came out and were just amazing weren't they they were quick um consistently fast and seemed to have some tricks and bells and whistles on the car that was getting the rest obviously in particular the you know the dual axis steering system which i'm sure jake can tell us more about in a bit although i'm not sure they're even going to race it i think this could, could be a huge red herring just to get everyone distracted while they focus on the other clever bits that they know they've got they were certainly very keen to explain explain everything not necessarily how it all worked but they were very open there was no caginess from them which uh, makes, uh, you, I, I, makes you raise an eyebrow what was going just, on i can just imagine them taking it off for melbourne and then smoking everyone and qualifying anyway you can sort of almost see it happening, but the, but so yeah. So we, I mean, we sometimes get accused of being too pro Lewis Hamilton and all this sort of stuff. But really, we want a good fight at the front. Um, so you're always looking to Ferrari or Red Bull to put up a contest to Mercedes, and I think we were all hoping that that they would. Ferrari look in a bit of trouble, don't they? Which I'm sure we'll get onto in a minute. But the, but the second week at least, you still got the feeling that Red Bull have something. They seem quite confident. Um, we know that Max is basically ready to fight for a world championship. Max Verstappen, um, they set he set his quickest time on the, the slightly harder tire compared to the Mercedes guys. That was in test two. In indeed. test two, yeah. So where the Mercs were slower anyway. I don't know if that's conditions or whether the different test program they were running. So yeah, you've sort of come out of the second week with a little bit more hope that Red Bull might be the ones, and Verstappen in particular, of course, to take the fight to Hamilton and. Indeed, I think with the sort of headline times coming out of the second test, so I only dropped my pen there, hence the shock in my voice, which I was going to gesture at a magazine that you, uh, the listeners can't see. Um, the headline times coming out of the second test were, as you say, a little bit slower. I think it was it was very windy across, especially the first two days in Barcelona during the second test. But also, as we'll get on to discuss, Mercedes reliability issues obviously reared their head quite significantly in the second test and I think there was a slight suspicion that maybe they'd just turn the power down that little bit to ensure they could complete testing uh, without any further failures or issues on the power unit uh, so yeah so why don't we why don't we get into the purpose of this podcast which is to discuss where we think the order roughly is it's always it's a bit of a mugs game as I well know from my experience in Formula E etc oh um, yes yes no, I didn't were we going to get through this without mentioning the, the Formula that was much harder though wasn't it you had a lot less data to go on as well less data a lot less help less variation you know just and a track that wasn't really appropriate no oh, the track limits the, abuse in where, that, whereas Barcelona is at least you know actually on the calendar and so they just make all of all of the cars are individual basically to the teams obviously I know there's you know you could say the Haas racing point which we'll come on to later how much of it is is it is it their own cars but in Formula Formula E there's like a, you can quantify that it's almost 80% spec and 20% individual powertrain manufacturers so what you know? How what use is analysing testing to a certain degree in that series? But anyway, we'll forget about that. It's nearly um, a spec series. Let's moving swiftly on to. We'll start. We may as well start with the team we think, understandably and almost very unsurprisingly, the quickest and the the, the, the strongest, the title favourite going to Melbourne, which we still believe will be the first race. We're recording on the Friday before that event, not the immediate Friday before, the week before. Um, yeah, Mercedes. As you say, Kev, top testing looks very strong. Apart from the tension, the questions over their power unit and their reliability, seven seven titles in a row. It's got to be on the card. Oh, well, I think we probably have them as favourites, even if they turned up tooled round for six days and been slowest, because we were all thought that maybe they'd been tripped up last year, or not tripped up, but had been jumped by Ferrari at least. I think everyone in the paddock thought that as well. I don't think that was just a journalist sort of getting getting carried away. I think a lot of people thought that, but. Obviously, they brought their all-new, effectively, a beast pet car for the second week, got it running, etc. Um, so you just you just wouldn't count them out, would you? Whatever they did during testing, you think, oh, yeah, but it's Mercedes. Yeah, they, they, you'd probably make a case for them, but they are the greatest Formula 1 team of all time now, I think. Um, and I like lots of old stuff, as you know. So, But I just think to maintain that level of domination. Yeah, in the early years, they had a big engine advantage because of all the investment they'd done in the turbo hybrid unit before anyone else. But I think they've shown over the last two or three years that they can keep pushing and you know, keep improving the car. Not so much the engine, actually. You'd say that the car has probably improved more. I think Lewis probably helped them out in 2018. I think yeah. if Hamilton and Vettel had been in the other you know, in swap positions, I think Hamilton probably would have won the title for Ferrari. But by and large, Mercedes win because they are the best team. So you kind of have to put them as favourite even before you get onto the 
the analysis that you guys did from uh, from Spain. Indeed, I mean, it looked as if in the first test, that's where sort of the, the general assumptions about Mercedes' long-run pace was taken from, and we did sort of most of them analysis for the magazine and for Autosport Plus based on the second uh, test, which is where we were just, there was there was a moment on the, the afternoon on the second day where Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel were on the same C3 compound tyres. Uh, they were both setting times that suggested they had quite a lot of fuel on board and Vettel did go on to do a full race run although it was interrupted by the fact that Hamilton uh, he stopped with a red, causing a red flag with what was it an oil an oil system anomaly that sort of just shut the car down Ben Anderson GP racing editor was watching trackside he said it was just like a hoover turning off that was it the car came out the corner and it's powered down and stopped by the side of the track um so yeah, so we didn't get a direct comparison with what they were doing on their long runs there, but the 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 feeling in the paddock and from speaking to various people is that what Mercedes showed in the first test, so already straight out of the box, was very strong, and that's where the sort of the sense that they're still the strongest overall comes from, as well as the fact that they top the times and they're fastest. Um, obviously, we have talked about and re- referred to the reliability issues, Jake. How 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 much can Mercedes fix before the first race? Obviously, it's only a two week gap between testing and what we think will be the Australian Grand Prix. If there is a, a, a fundamental problem with the power unit at this stage, is there a lot they can do at this point? Uh, there's not a lot they can do immediately. What they can do is they can play around with software and maps and various other things to kind of circumvent whichever issues they might be having, whether that's regards to oil system anomalies. So that could be pickup, that could be delivery, that could be anything like that. Um, and then... Obviously, the guys in Bricksworth will be kind of looking at that kind of thing, looking at all the data and going, okay, what's the issue? And then trying to roll out a part as soon as they can. Teams aren't quite as bound by engine change regulations with regards to changing new parts in the within the engine as they were previously when you would have like points and joker systems and that kind of thing. You can sort of do it as and when, especially if it's in terms of reliability as well. Ultimately, it's not something to be too concerned about at the moment because, you know, they did get the most laps out of anybody in during the phase of the test um obviously there was that oil system anomaly and bottas has had a stoppage during during week one day two i think it was which put an end to his running but he'd done 140 plus laps anyway so did it wasn't flagged, flagged immediately because it happened in the pit lane the car yeah. sort of that was where the problem arose and he jumped out of the car and the car just didn't run again it wasn't like he stopped on track that time yeah exactly so they've got a lot of data they've got the most laps out of anybody uh, if anybody can turn it around as well, it, it's them. So I don't think there's too much cause to be concerned. Obviously, it's something they can fix, but not if it's a hardware issue, not immediately. Mm. Well, coming to what we think, who we think are going to be their possibly their main opposition last year was Ferrari, very clearly, have been the case the last couple of years. Now we think Red Bull probably nipped ahead in the pecking order. Again, they didn't appear to show massively in terms of the long run stuff. They didn't They didn't appear to show their hand at any point in testing. And indeed, in the second test, Max Verstappen was, what, second with a, a 1 minute 16.269, as I refer to this magazine I just picked up, which is only just under a tenth slower than Bottas, but he was on a slightly harder tyre. So there's potential in that package. He could have topped the second test there if he'd gone on to the C5, C5 rubber. Um the consensus is, yeah, that, that that Red Bull have got ahead of Ferrari, and as we'll come on to anyway, Ferrari are putting themselves them themselves third because things don't appear to be working quite as well with the SF one thousand. Um, but yeah, Red Bull, the, the feeling coming out of the camp, looking at Christian Horner and Max Verstappen doing their media engagements, they looked very very confident. There was no panic. There was no, you know, no rush to to, to claim or or play down things or whatever. They just were focused on getting on with what they were doing. Bit of an issue with spinning, you know. I sort of I said in the magazine. You know, watching it trackside, it looks planted. And uh, there's a couple of the spins that Verstappen and Albon had in the second test. You could put down to the wind. You could put down to the fact that it rained on the the start of the second day. But then going back to week one, I was thinking actually Verstappen had a couple of high speed spins as he came down towards that uh, chicane in the in the final section at Barcelona. So maybe it is something that maybe Red Bull do need to get on top of a little bit. But yeah, what did you guys make of uh, what Red Bull showed at Barcelona or didn't show, perhaps? Well, I was just going to say that it, it's not a huge shock that Red Bull would be in that position because if you think that they've had perhaps three key problems over the last few years, um, one was obviously the engine and the deteriorating relationship with Renault, which is why they jumped across to Honda and everyone said, oh, that's not a great idea. But actually, they, they proved in the first year that they were already basically on the same level they were before. So you think, well, that's only going to get better, isn't it? Because there's obviously some trust there, Red Bull giving them Honda what they need and, and, and that seems to be working in a way that McLaren Honda just never did you've got 
Max Verstappen has gone from being very fast but making silly mistakes and crashing to not really doing that. I think probably his biggest mistake last year was ignoring a yellow flag in Mexico qualifying and then deciding to say why he thought it was okay to ignore it, which yeah. wasn't too sharp. But normally he's he's scoring most of the points. Uh, and they've also had that, and I'm sure Jake can talk a bit more about this, they've occasionally got their front wing wrong, haven't they? They've started the season a bit off with the balance of their car and given away a few points and then come on strong. So we know that development rate is very good. Um, and we've got virtually no rule changes coming into this year. We know they were quick at the end of last year. Verstappen was blindingly fast in Brazil. So it's all everything's pointing towards it. Now is the time for Red Bull to finally fight for a championship properly for the first time since 2013. When we've got to the end of seasons, Red Bull has been the form team every single time. Whether that's because Mercedes has had the championship wrapped up and taken its eye off the ball, or because that rate of development has been so genuinely good that Red Bull has sort of transcended everybody else. Um, they have always been the form team at the end of the season. But the issue has always been never bringing that form forwards into the next season. And whether that's because rules changes or anything else like that a, a lack of continuity perhaps um has sort of derailed that progress there's no real excuse this time around because they've got the same driver lineup as they ended last season with so they've not got a bed in a new driver completely uh the honda relationship is going from strength to strength um on the technical front as kev mentioned last year their front wing was causing quite a few problems with regards to balance and stability and that was causing a few problems until they got to Austria, came with a new front wing, and that kind of wasn't the be-all and end-all, but it remedied quite a lot of situations and um, really set up the aerodynamics further back the car to sort of, you know, get the car working and get the car singing. So all the ingredients are in place now, whether it's got as flavourful ingredients as Mercedes to kind of make 2020 work and be a genuine championship challenger, we don't know yet. But Ultimately, this is a team that has won. This is a team that should be winning more races. And this is a team that can can challenge for a title. It just needs to just get everything right now. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably strategically the best team. I mean, you could say, well, they've had nothing to lose, so they can take punts on things and then look clever when it works. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But I do think they are. You know, they're always one of the quickest in the pits as well. I think they're a really sharp race team. They are the ones best placed, I think, to... Yeah, to give Mercedes something to worry about. We know that Mercedes can make strategic errors when they're under pressure. And where they were let down somewhat last year, including on the strategy front, was because of the second driver. If you look at the Hungarian Grand Prix, that was a race Max Verstappen should have won. But Mercedes were able to counter move because there was no second Red Bull behind Lewis Hamilton to to stop him coming in and changing his tyres and ultimately putting Red Bull in a position where they lost the race, which, you know, they made a decision took Pierre Gasly out, put Alexander Albon in, and as you referenced that that Brazil race, he was right up there, in second place behind Max Verstappen before the incident of Lewis Hamilton that cost him a medium, medium podium. Yeah, I think I think it's quite a big year for Albon, isn't it? Because he could get away with because he wasn't really you know, on pace all that much closer to Verstappen than Gasly had been. He raced much better. Yeah, when there was a car to overtake, he overtook it. He didn't just sort of cruise around with the other Class B cars as Gasly seemed to do a few times. Um, so that gave him a bit of a oh yeah no yeah that was good you've done a good job with this half season no yeah no if one experienced your rookie all the rest of it but this year I think he will be expected to be yeah, to be in that hole behind Verstappen now, nobody expects him to be outpacing Verstappen I think anyone would have a job doing that in, in that car um, but he needs to, yeah he needs to be in the, there need to be six front running cars don't they not five and then the sort of class A and a half. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think you know it'd be good for the season if to have a second team up there with Mercedes on their level and and taking them on over the course of the campaign. And that team that has been doing that in the past has been Ferrari. But as uh, team principal Matteo Bonotto is very keen to reinforce at both both tests, the team feels they are behind Mercedes and Red Bull at the moment. Uh, the car um, is was in terms of speed trap figures down on power compared to last year. We'll come on to perhaps why we think why that might be shortly. Um, Watching trackside, it looks like it's got a problem with understeer. Maybe not a, a chronic or a, a constant problem, but it's it's pretty apparent. And we know that that's something that costs Sebastian Vettel in particular. He likes to have an, a good, strong, you know, a, a strong front end. So taking Ferrari at their word, their place at the moment behind Mercedes and Red Bull, got to say that's a bit of a disappointment for that team. You know, that should have won potentially in 2018, possibly 2017 as well. Things fell apart last year, and now it's just it's not going in the right direction. I find Ferrari univ- just the most frustrating team on the grid consistently because a lot of fans, uh, either Ferrari fans or just F1 fans, really want Ferrari to be in the mix. Even if they don't want them to win, you kind of want them 
if you've only got three teams that are going to be in, yeah, hopefully the new rules in 2021 will change that. But at the moment, and for the last few years, it's been three teams. You really want Ferrari to nail it. And because Mercedes have got Lewis Hamilton, they need to have a car probably a little bit better than Mercedes because let's see how the clerk gets on. But Vettel, in a straight fight, is going to lose to Hamilton every time. But Ferrari seems to do... They're, they're a few percent away from Mercedes in the way that Vettel is a few percent away from Hamilton. So their strategy is a bit off. They're not quite sure how to handle two number ones. Um, and every time they look like they're about to get on the verge of, of attacking, it doesn't quite work out. And obviously, you know, we're going to have to talk about this. Is perhaps where I throw to Jake, but the fuel flow issue. Whether or not they were cheating, obviously a lot of the, the paddock think that they were. They say they weren't. The FI has come out with a really vague, oh, we've come to a settlement, but I'll say, which doesn't tell later, you anything. Later clarified it to say they just weren't convinced. There wasn't, they, you know, they weren't fully satisfied, I think, was the wording about the paddock. Yeah, I, but they couldn't, they couldn't prove it without having a long court case with Ferrari, essentially. Yeah, which nobody, nobody really wants. So, uh, to me, it's sort of slightly, it, it looks completely different, but it, it's slightly reminiscent to me of the Brabham fan car, it, which is, well, it's not, we don't really want you to do that. We're not going to actually ban it, but just don't, just don't come back again with it, please. And we won't say anything more. So yeah, the results of 2019 haven't been thrown into question. I guess it's easy for them because Mercedes won anyway. But what's what's a, what's frustrating is that it, whether it's this or something else, Ferrari seems to be off it again. So ah, indeed, and, and it is slightly worrying for Ferrari because the big. You know the big advantage they had last season was the power union. That's what everyone talked about. That top speed, that you know potency in qualifying. They'd get towards the front of the grid, and that's what sort of you know kept them there. Look at look at Monza without the best engine. I don't think Leclerc wins that race because it was repeatedly time and time again Hamilton had DRS and he was able to stay ahead because of the strength of the engine. Ultimately, Hamilton wore out his tyres and then Bottas couldn't overtake. So you know that that was Ferrari's big thing last year. Yeah, they probably. I mean, Bonotto's argument is always that it was more also to do with the aero that they were to, towards low drag rather than high downforce and that they've changed for this year let's let's say that the engine is all fine and actually that's not the thing and well then you look at the speed traps and lap times from barcelona and you go well they've gone too far then they haven't, they haven't got their balance right so you've got the understeer problem and they're slow in a straight line so now you've got the worst of both worlds so they're, they're, they're not in the ballpark at the moment but also with that we know what downforce causes drag because it's the it's the aero parts needed to be quick in the corner as well Mercedes are the quickest in the corners still if we look at sector 3 at Barcelona and Red Bull are in front of Ferrari so how come they're faster on the straights if it's all down to drag so um, yeah it's, it's, it's certainly questions that need to be answered in Melbourne um, Jake yeah maybe you could just run us through what was what was what we think was going on with the Ferrari power unit situation so it's still not something that we all know a great deal about because um, obviously it's been very well internalised by the Ferrari and the FIA um, and one of the biggest bits of fallout over the past week was obviously that statement that was released by the FIA 10 minutes before the end of testing which was we have reached a settlement. Ferrari will help us with various initiatives. Um, and Here's the punishment for the thing that they may or may not have been doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so everyone was like, what the hell does this mean? Um, and basically, the long and short of it is that in a Formula One car, you have a fuel flow sensor. And that fuel flow sensor is, it is supposed to detect that you are putting in no more than 110 kilograms of fuel per hour into your car that's the that's the fuel flow rate now this flashes basically it measures it every 200 milliseconds which is if you think about it it's a tiny amount of time that's probably less time than it takes to blink but if between those 200 millisecond intervals you can make the fuel flow higher then you get more power out of your car and so if because the teams have access to that fuel flow sensor they know when each interval is going to be so if they can work around those intervals, they can put more fuel into the engine and therefore run faster, which is why they were so good in qualifying, because you're not as bound by also the amount of fuel that you're allowed to have in the car at one time. So you can run a little bit more fuel, but then you can shove more fuel into the engine. You've got more power. And then in qualifying, Ferrari was dynamite. In a race, we always saw Ferrari fall back a bit, and that's because you are bound by how much fuel you have in the car. And therefore, you can't take advantage of that situation as much. So that's basically the long and short of of what happened. Obviously, for 2020, there is now a second fuel flow sensor that the teams do not have access to, and therefore they do not know when the interval is going to be, and therefore that's only something the FIA know. So that's something that Ferrari can no longer take advantage of. So 
possibly take advantage possibly of. Possibly. Maybe they can. We'll find out. But um, Or maybe they weren't at all, yeah, I think. That's, is that's, perhaps what, that's, what, that's what we're getting to. Uh, yes. I think or maybe just not. in case. <laughs> so that is what it has uh, alleged to be. That appears to be the issue. Um, so there, I'm sure there will be much more fallout. Obviously, we've had all of the non-Ferrari-powered teams express their dismay united weren't they yeah how how the investigation went um they have sought clarification on the matter and have not ruled out legal action should they feel that the uh the explanation is not enough for them so this is only something that's going to continue to develop um over the the next few races which is unfortunate because we don't really want to be talking about fuel flow sensors, do we? Well, well oh. this, this is the thing. This is what I was going to say. I mean, he's staggeringly clever, if that's what Ferrari is doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Doing. It's, it's yeah. truly astonishing just to think of it in the first place and then actually to find, come up with a system that does that. But it sort of it makes me think of the, of the DAS, the dual-axis steering system, you know, very 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 clever and i'm sure jake as technical editor that must have been the highlight of your what was it uh uh thursday morning when that came yeah. out in barcelona but what what actually does it gain is it you know mercedes have talked about a few tenths obviously okay ferrari really power, power their engine but to your to your casual fan that formula one is wanting to attract is is it worth all these millions being developed and spent for, for things that you can't see and stuff like that i, I just wonder if no. it is i'd say no but we're way beyond the point where you can do that like the, you know, we know where the engine should go. There are a specified number of wheels. You can't have ground effects. You can't put a massive great fan on the back. Um, you know that two references. Well, to that, yeah, two. Well, you know, Gordon Murray, Brabham, Fever. Um, but you, 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 we know too much about how to run a racing car as a collective, motorsport as a collective. So there's not going to be a golden bullet without it being something really small. clever Fair. and then the the gain will be small because otherwise we'd have you know been doing it for 100 you know the first Grand Prix was 1906 we've been doing it a long time like there aren't big gains to be made unless you completely change the nature of what it is and the fuel you're using and the propulsion and that's a whole different debate altogether back in motorsports well, infancy as it were what, what i like Indeed. about what i like about das as well is you you like the puns that's what you like i like the puns of course uh that's is good. That was one of the poorer ones. But what, all poor, just what, to clarify. But on a serious note, what I like about it is you have a huge amount of people today who say you cannot innovate in Formula One. That's an impossibility. The rules are so tightly prescripted that it's impossible to take them, do something different and do something that you've never seen before in Formula One. And then when everybody in the media centre is watching the screens uh, on Thursday morning at Barcelona... And you watch Lewis Hamilton push the steering wheel in and pull it out and do all of these things and watch the wheels turn. People are like, what's what's that? What's just happened? What has he just done? And it causes this furore that it's just, it's such an interesting thing to see because you do have this suggestion that you can't innovate in Formula One. And when somebody does, people get unnecessarily upset by it. And it's just this weird duality (laughs) of oh, you can't do this, but if you do, we'll be really annoyed if you do. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's really cool that they've tried it and done it and and it, it appears to work, but I've I've still just got this feeling that they're going to rock up and that they won't race it. Yeah, I don't I, think they need to race it. I, I agree with they you. they made it, their point already. The, I think it is a bit of a red herring and the fact that, as you mentioned, Alex, they were so open about it. It's like, oh, we've, we've given it a name and we've done this and we've done that and it's all of these things that there is something, they have something bigger and better underneath the bonnet that you don't know about. And it, it's, as James Allison said in Barcelona, it is just the tip of an iceberg. It's almost like the deliberate leaking of a confidential document, isn't it? Yeah. But keeping the folder of all the other stuff to one side it's like is, when, is what it feels like When a bit, an MP but. walks out of Parliament with some kind of secret memo facing outwards so that paparazzi <laughs> can take a photo of and go, oh, what does uh, Have Cake I, I, and Eat I'm it I'm sure mean? that's never happened. <laughs> Um, well, moving on from the top three in the championship, coming up next, I think, is Racing Points. Now, referred to by uh, some people in the paddock as a pink Mercedes. It certainly looks an awful lot like the uh, W10 from last year. They were very strong in testing. Uh, Sergio Perez, on the, on, in the, on the last day in particular in the second test, was coming out of the final corner, having gone quickest in the first sector, or personal best in the first sector, and then quickest or personal best in the second sector, looking like he was going to take the top spot, and then just just being nowhere in the third sector because he had a, what presumably was a massive lift out of the final corner. Uh, so he could have gone a lot quicker in, in the second test, I think, for sure. Um, so yeah, he's only down in seventh overall in the combined times of two tests, and seventh in the second test as well. 
I think that car looks that car looks good. It looked good from trackside. We know it looks like a Mercedes, so it's gonna it's gonna you know you you would expect it to to be good. Um, but yeah, I think judging from everything we've seen, especially on the long runs as well, they could they could be leading the midfield going to Melbourne. I've got sort of mixed feelings about this car because on the one hand, I think it looks a lot better than the previous racing points of Force Indias, which were among the ugliest cars on the grid, in my in my opinion. The pink pigs. Uh, they just yeah, you know, the noses were horrible. And this actually is a really nice looking car. <laughs> um, it's just very familiar. It is a bit familiar, yeah. And I also like the idea, the idea that they could somehow maybe jump into the battle occasionally in the right circumstances. I think we all we all want that. Um, yeah, that that would be great. Although, you know, having a car that looks like another one is not the same as having a car that works like it, and you understand how it works. So that's quite a big that's quite a big difference. But I think on the the other side, it does actually raise a really important question about what Formula One is, what it should be, where it should go. I know that we've we've had some responses from readers basically saying, "Oh, well, you know, how is this any different to uh, when you used to buy a you know, customer car? You know, there used to be customer chassis." So I said, "Well, that's the difference is that that's not what Formula One is at the moment. You're supposed to have your own intellectual property. You don't have customer cars. You are supposed to build your own one." And there are some teams, Williams being a classic one, who sort of puts great store in going and developing its own car because that's what it feels like Formula One should be. But you're getting to the point now where you can't compete. And the best thing to do if you're a Class B team is actually maybe it is to have a really close relationship slash alleged copies of the big teams. Um, so I think that it really raises the question of what should F1 be and what should it do for 2021? Um, but I kind of, I, from racing points point of view, I think this, I think it's a bold move, and I think, I think it's, it's quite. I, I can see why they've done it. I think it's a good idea to try it. Well, twenty twenty one is an interesting point on that debate about what is Formula One and, and should this sort of thing be allowed? Because how can another team get inspiration or get very work very closely, you know, without directly going to one of the bigger teams for next year when the, all the rules are different? You can't, you can you can't just suddenly copy their ideas for something that hasn't been seen yet. Not that you know, a direct copy or you know, influence your design. So yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting what Racing Point have done this year. It's also not new, is it? I mean, the yeah. you know, Patrick Heads Williams F W O seven, which we would say is one of the great Formula One cars, was really a, a copy of the Lotus seventy nine done properly. Yeah, made stiff essentially. It was a very pragmatic. This is how to make this work. That was an understanding of what the Lotus was doing and moving it on, which obviously this is slightly different. This is trying to, well, this is where Mercedes were at last year. Let's see if we can be roughly in that ballpark and that'll probably help us out. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously they won't be able to do it for next year. But if they can just elevate themselves up the grid for that year, what, what, have, they, what have they lost? And then if it, has, if it goes wrong and they completely understand the car and they're tooling around at the back going, oh my God, well, bin it. And they can, they can forget about it and... And, and carry on exactly which is what the team the team did say that they with 2021 coming you know it doesn't matter if it if it all, if it all goes wrong this year to a certain extent of course because they wouldn't you know want to be at the back i quite like the idea of sergio perez being up a little bit further up the grid as well because i think he's one of the absolute top midfield drivers now and I, I don't mean that as a disrespectful remark i think the midfield battle is really really close and he got his mclaren chance too soon and it was against jensen Button, who everyone seemed to underrate and expect him to blow off, even though Lewis Hamilton struggled to beat Button, so I never really understood that logic. Um, and he, yeah, he's a much better driver now. Should he get a, 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 a shot in a top car? I'm not sure whether he would be at the top of anyone's list. He probably won't ever get it. But if a midfield team could fluke a good car, he, he will. he's always the one that's there picking up the podiums when there's the odd one going. So I'd quite like to see him a little bit further up the grid. I think that would be quite, quite good. I met him for the first time at the Racing Point team launch in, in Austria, just ahead of testing. And um, I don't know what I was expecting, really, but I, I, met, I met a driver who just seemed very confident, very calm, very just looking forward to getting going in the season. The things he was saying about, you know, he was there in all the tough times when Force India came to an end and then Lawrence Stroll came in and sort of, you know, rescued the team. And there was just a sense of, oh, this, this, guy, this guy feels very confident about this season. And then the car rolled out of the garage the next day or a couple of days later in Barcelona. Like, ah, okay, I see why. I see why. So I think, you know, that that suggests that Racing Point themselves are very confident. And um, behind them, I think I think McLaren comes next. They, they, you know, won the Class B last year. They look very good trackside. They do look up there in the long runs and things on the uh, on the harder tyres. Uh, Carlos Sainz only just behind Sergio Perez in the, in the combined fastest times order uh, from both tests. Jake, what did you make of McLaren in testing? Well, McLaren went quietly about their business which they haven't done in years they haven't done it since before perhaps the Honda days uh, we always remember 2015 when 
testing was an absolute nightmare and Fernando Alonso had his very strange accident. Um, and 2016 and, and 2016. 2017. <laughs> yeah, it's been nightmarish. And even last year, there were points at which we, when we were watching, there were points at which we thought, particularly Lando Norris at camps are in turn nine, he didn't look particularly comfortable in the car. And then we moved to this season and everything just seemed to go right. There weren't any headline times. There wasn't any bravado. There wasn't any show about it. It was okay. Nor- Norris was last in the combined times. Yeah. Actually, we've we've got our car. It works. Um, we're just going to do our testing. We're going to do our mileage. Get our data, and be ready for Melbourne. Yeah, and, and they did a lot of running on the C1 tire, the hardest tire, which hardly anybody you know was was very rarely used yeah. by most teams. So um, there's not a whole lot to say about it. Um, but ultimately, they just seem confident. They don't want to make a big show of it. Um, maybe they will be behind Racing Point this season because Racing Point has gone for basically all in on 2020 because it's a quite a low risk scenario for them. They can just rock up with a very heavily Mercedes inspired car and if it works, it works. It doesn't, it doesn't. Um, McLaren has continued on its own kind of philosophy, if you like. Uh, it's got continuity. Uh, they're moving to Mercedes engines next year so it's the last season with Renault and they'll sort of want to just you know carry on doing what they did last year being head of the midfield putting Carlos Sainz in position maybe more so than last year putting in positions where he can maybe get a couple more podiums getting Lando Norris up there in the races on a more regular basis sort out the reliability that seems to be the aim for this season I think I think it's going to be quite a tricky one for McLaren because even if they do a really good job because they, they obviously they turn things around last year massively you know they really you know the old you know we talked about before really assessed what they were doing the, the moving from Honda into Renault engine showed that they had deficiencies all that Andrea Andreas Sayle coming in everyone rates him um, so they're very well set but in terms of their resources and where they're at at the moment you think well they're not going to take on the big three just in one you know no one's going to do that jump if Racing Point have got a good you know Mercedes inspired vehicle <laughs> And you've got Renault, a factory team, who really underperformed last year. McLaren might do a very good job and still be under pressure in fifth or sixth in the Constructors' Championship, which would make it look like a bad season. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's difficult to see them coming out of 2020 as well as they came out of 2019. But I think that that doesn't necessarily mean they'll lose momentum because I think they've made the changes that they needed to make for the new rules set in, in 21. Indeed. Well... Coming next, I think you know we're going, we could have a, a hell of a debate over this order, and it's it's very much open to interpretation. As I said, the order that we came up with for the magazine is an educated guess at best. Obviously, the teams, if they if they're unhappy with their any of their placings in their order, they're more than welcome to get in contact and tell us what the situation really is. Um, yeah, give us all your GPS data. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, you know, uh, why, we can why make it even it? better. Yeah, if you don't like the order, <laughs> send us all the data you've got, and we can all have a we'll all sit around the table, and you can help us out come up with a list. Excellent. Well, yeah, that's me preparing the defence there. But I think, um, yeah, judging by uh, potentially, I've got I might have Haas too high. I think you can either have Haas here. Or you could have them as low as P9. I think, judging by their headline times, that obviously they were only above Williams. Um, but looking at the stint that Grosjean did on that on that final morning, he did look pretty strong. He was running the softer rubber, so maybe that put his boosted his times a little bit. But yeah, has few crashes, still a few issues there. Obviously, the driver front in 2019 is the big question mark. But yeah. But well, they've got two, they've got two problems in 2019, and we don't know if they've solved either of them. We know that they definitely haven't solved the driver problem. I'm absolutely staggered that they've got Grosjean and Magnussen again. Like you would have kept one of them, and then it depends on what you prefer. Do you want the guy that's going to deliver unbelievable performances occasionally and stick it in all the other half of the time, or which Gros- is Grosjean? Grosjean just yeah. just to, just to clarify, <laughs> I mean, watching trackside, he will lock up in the same place lap after lap, and you just think just be slightly earlier on the brakes or slightly less. It's like how are you not. Oh, frustration. But then other days, he'll be amazing. Um, and Magnussen's probably a bit more of a reliable performer. It's unlikely to pull out that sort of, you know, to keep one of them because they drove into each other a lot last year. So that that's a slightly odd one. And the other one is that even when they had single lap performance, they just chewed through the tyres. They couldn't get the tyres to work in the races. Now, why that is, Jake might have a view on that. But I, do they know? That's the key thing. Do the house know why that was happening and can they change it? Uh, I think it was a... Largely a fundamental issue with last year's car. Um, Alex, please stop dropping your pen. 
I think the key issue was, as you say, that on, return to me. <laughs> on single lap pace, um, yeah, they did look incredibly good. Um, they were able to get the tyres within a window that worked for qualifying, but they couldn't hang on to that window because it seemed to be that they would overheat their tyres very, very easily. Now, in pre-season testing last year, um, Haas looked very, very good, uh, particularly in Sector 3. Um, the car looked very, very easy to handle and Grosjean and Magnussen were doing uh, an incredibly good job with it. Um, but the temperatures are lower. And then when you get to circuits where things are a lot hotter, um, you just get through those tyres so much more quickly. And Haas couldn't hang on to that window. And there's a few examples from that last year, like Belgium and Austria, where Haas was they qualified very, very well. And then just fell backwards because the tyres were just gone and they couldn't do anything else with them and they didn't know how to turn it around. It seemed to be a front wing issue. Um, it seemed that the that would impact the aero on the rest of the car. Um, the aero didn't seem to be particularly balanced and therefore at the rear, drivers would be sliding around, struggling uh, in race trim and you know that would get everything just out of whack, I guess. It, it's quite hard to explain because I don't know myself what the crux of the issue was hopefully has to do again the car looked sometimes in testing this year looked to be good but there were those issues Grosjean threw it into the wall Magnussen's was um it was a broken wheel so it wasn't entirely self-inflicted but as Kev says yeah I think keeping the driver front was a little bit baffling I think the reason why and I do understand the reason why is that Grosjean was the guy that at the start of well quite early into the season said i don't like these new specifications can we go back to melbourne please and how said no and how said no and then eventually he pushed and he pushed and he pushed to get the melbourne spec back and has seemed to be in a little bit of a better place and he was sort of the one that the troubleshooter if you like so it it serves to have him on hand if that happens again but from a race performance standpoint nico holkenberg i was just gonna say when you've got him on the market then surely it's a it's a no-brainer yeah but obviously not well so a question for later in the year as it goes on perhaps yeah ask Gunter um, in a session at some point when when they've hit each other again do you wish Nico Hulkenberg was in one of the co- no don't do that <laughs> well I might get a very sweary response well they like actually might be entertaining aren't they yeah that's true yeah <laughs> uh, well next let's come to to Renault I mean some people have them as high up as where we think Racing Point are potentially in in P4 at the moment but you know, it, it, you could also argue a case that that maybe they're, they're even too high here, and where we've got them just sort of behind Racing Point, McLaren, and maybe Haas. Although who knows about that? Um, Jake, what did you make of the Renault in testing? Now, the drivers, well, Daniel Ricciardo seems a lot happier than last year, which is reassuring. Esteban Ocon says he's not driven a car with so much grip, which is also reassuring. But and there is a big but. We were watching them go around the track. You and I were at turn 10, uh, going into turn 11 and turn 12. And every single time Esteban Ocon got to turn 12, he was nowhere near the apex at any point. And it looks like it, it is, again, difficult to turn in. Um, with a year's experience, Daniel Ricciardo might be able to handle that a little bit better. Last year, he struggled massively with the brakes, and now it's in a position where he likes it. Um, he might be able to get more out of that Renault, but... Ocon just seemed to just wash out in the corner, um, struggled to get it turned in. Um, And you just, I think Renault's main issue, there's a lot of issues at the team. Um, They've they've overhauled the technical team, and so that won't bear fruit just yet. But for 2021, it seems that's where they're pinning all of their attention. On a management level as well, uh, Alain Prost spoke about this and said perhaps their expectations were too high. But, there just doesn't seem to be much mobility from the team. There doesn't seem to be much reaction from the team. There's just seems to be content to just sort of poot along with its manufacturer budget, but not do a whole lot. And there's not really any, there isn't a much ambition, even with the lofty targets. There doesn't seem to just, it's, it's quite a lethargic outfit. And I'm sure now that I've said that, they'll turn up in Melbourne and be top three or something like that. But I don't know, I'm just still wholly unconvinced by them. Kev, what did you make of Renault? Well, I mean, that's quite yeah, quite surprising that it's good, yeah, because there are lots of good people there, and you sort of look on on paper there, the other factory squad. If you look at where they, uh, how far they came between 2016 and 2018, from basically the I remember Azerbaijan, they were at the back, uh, and in 2018 they were fourth in the constructors' championship. Right, okay, this is the team that could make the jump to 
to the big three, if you like, before any major rules changed. And then obviously they got leapfrogged by McLaren instead last year. Um, so you, you know, you you look to them to to be the ones to make it kind of a bit more interesting. But I think they've probably got their task now needs to be to get back ahead of McLaren and make sure they are fourth. Um, I think the the exciting thing for Renault this year is the driver lineup. I think I think Ricciardo versus Ocon. I think Ricciardo is we know he's a, he's very very good to the point where you know he could beat Max Verstappen on any given on, you know, on certain days, and Ocon, you know he's a lot of people think he's the next guy. It should be Leclerc, Ocon, Verstappen is sort of the next generation. So um, Ocon probably needs to beat Ricardo to show not straight away. I think he'll probably be given a bit of time. But he probably needs to to show yes, I'm deserving of a Mercedes drive because I can go up against Max and Charles when when the time comes. Imagine that'd be quite a uh, tasty fight between Verstappen and Ocon, given what happened in Brazil in 2018. Oh, they've never liked each other, have they? That's Even true. back into their yes. three days, they used to have clashes and things. So there's a lot of lot of history there, and yeah, it's sort of you're almost waiting for the post Hamilton era then to really get going. So this is a this is a test for Ocon to see if he actually will be part of that story. What I find strange about Renault. Renault's signing of Ocon is that Mercedes seemed very, very happy to let him go to a rival manufacturer team. Now, yeah, maybe that's completely innocent and they wanted to get a bit of experience, you know, with with a manufacturer setup before they put him in the lead Mercedes team, but it just seemed to happen too easily. And he's he's on this contract now where Mercedes cannot interfere with his managerial affairs or anything like that. They can't call him back or anything like that. If Hamilton or Bottas decided to call it quits or move away, who's who's their gun driver? Do they rate Russell more than they rate Ocon? I don't know. Um, it just seems like a weird, a strange situation to me. Um, there's no doubt Ocon is good, but I I think Ricardo's just got more about him uh, in comparison. I don't. I personally don't see Ocon as a massive step above Hulkenberg, but. I don't know, I'm willing well, to be proved wrong. But that. that's the Mercedes test, isn't it? Really, I think you know they. You get the feeling they've maybe been sort of leaning more towards Russell with what he's been doing, but he's clearly not ready for a. You know, they want to see a bit more of. We need Williams in the midfield fight so that yeah. Russell can show that he's as good as we think he is. Um, so I, it kind of makes a bit more sense for me to Mercedes go right. Well, we think it's probably Russell, but if we put Ocon in at Renault and he smokes Ricciardo, then we'll just get him back because who's going to not sign for Mercedes if they've got a slot if they've come for you you're going to go aren't you so yeah I can kind of, I can kind of see it I think probably when they did that move I did wonder well they must be confident that Lewis Hamilton's going to carry on in 2021 and beyond because you would not want to be left as you say Jake with the situation where Bottas is your lead driver and you're bringing in a yeah he's not a number one um, he's a very very good racing driver but in an equal situation he's going to lose to Verstappen isn't he um, and probably Leclerc as well. Um, so who, yeah, you, you wouldn't want to be left with Bottas and someone who hasn't yet fought at the front in 2021. So that was my reading of that that they're confident they're going to keep Lewis at least for another couple of years after this one. Mm, so might all stay the same and then, uh, you know, or pull out altogether. <laughs> that's the other one. Then that's they don't need any more, drivers. That's looking more and more unlikely as, as we go on. I think with the way that Toto yes, is setting things right. up at Mercedes there. Um, I think behind behind uh, the, the teams in the midfield we've already discussed Alfa Tori and Alfa Romeo, very similar names these days. I think much the same as last year. Quite close in there. The squads are quite stable going in. Although you know the Gasly, Kvyat, Red Bull. Helmet Marco, Christian Horner thing. You never know what's going to be next. The next chapter in that saga is. Um, but yeah, liveries look good, which is another thing I want to say about Renault. Let's hope they bring a dynamic racing livery as opposed to the black one they've tested in. Can I criticise Alpha Tories for changing its name so we'd have got two Alphas on the grid, which is daft. Yep, correct. Given that neither of them are actually Alpha. Well, apparently really. it's Alpha Tauri. But I, I, oh, really? You know, I, okay. You know, well, much of a um, but then praise them for coming up with the most dynamic livery change, which I, yeah is nice. There were a couple of times I put the picture of the car in the magazine just because I thought that yeah that that is different. It's not here's another yeah here's I mean the Alfa Romeo looks exactly the same, doesn't it? So yeah, I think uh, that's that's not very in, in depth analysis, is it? To be <laughs> no, fair, let's, let's, let's but, yeah. But they they showed last year they were a pretty effective operation, weren't they? They seem to have um, been less worried about doing different things to Red Bull for the sake of it. Do you know, use Red Bull for what they can, and then really focus on the bits that, that that you know put their resources in the right places to make a difference and um, it seemed to work for them i think gasly is a very good midfield driver um so they should be yeah they should be in a pretty strong 
place. What did the car look like on track, guys, when you were there? Yeah, Jake, what, what, was you gonna, make what I was going to ask was, so you're giving the AlphaTauri the Turner Prize. Oh, uh, yeah. I quite enjoy that yeah, one. No, that's, yeah, oh, I'll, I'll let you have that one then, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, sure, I am, yeah. I'll take that, I'll take that. Um, on tracks, much more convinced by the uh, AlphaTauri than the Alfa Romeo. Um, last year, again, in 2019, um, I was watching down at Turn 10 and Kimi Raikkonen was just locking up every single time he went into that corner. He wasn't doing that so much this year, so he seems a lot more comfortable with the car. Um Giovinazzi has uh, a, a, an extra year of an experience. He's got, he hopefully, got all of the the crashes and errors out of his system. Alvatore has the stronger car, stronger lineup. I do feel that Kvyat is is underrated as a driver, but every now and again, every time I say that, he'll go and do something stupid. So it's a it's a strange, perhaps a strange opinion I have, but I think. He's, he's a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. I think him and Gasly are very well matched. Alfa Romeo, is this going to be Raikkonen's last season? Uh, will Giovinazzi be retained for 2021? Uh, or will he lose that sort of Ferrari seat to, I don't know, a Vettel. Or Vettel. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's your pick. Wow, quite a step Well, once the clerk's from... blown Vettel away, it'd be a, it'll, there'll be... Surely it'd be retirement, wouldn't it? He wouldn't go to Salva. I suppose it depends. On, well, it depends if he takes the Raikkonen... Uh, sort of, oh, I just quite like the this. Gravy it's quite train. good fun, and I'm going to carry on doing it because um, Vettel, like Raikkonen, would be an excellent driver for that sort of team, wouldn't he? I mean, this is assuming that he doesn't resurrect himself against the clerk this year. But I think, yeah, we'll, we'll perhaps get onto drivers at a different time. But uh, yeah, I don't think that that's going to happen. No, well, I think we should wrap, wrap things up by talking about Williams. Uh, going by what George Russell said, they've made a step forward. But I think that bears, bears that out with what we've seen on track, with the times they produced in testing. Uh, but we still think they're probably going to be bringing up the rear, just perhaps not quite so far off the back as they were last year. Would you agree with that, Jake? Uh, yeah, I would. Um, the, first of all, the car looks a lot li- nicer if we're discussing liveries. Um, last year's was awful from a purely sartorial point of view um the blue gradient just did not do it for me it looked like the car had come out of the fridge to be honest with you um this one it does have a little bit of an aqua fresh vibe but i like it um i thought it was a 97 arrows 97 arrows was my other look and that's from head on as well because it's got the red rear wing it's got the the blue on the nose and it does look like 97 arrows hopefully it performs a little bit better unless they have a mega result at Hungary and Russell is in contention for a win um, but they do seem like they're in a much better place than last year um, the spectre of 2019 has gone I think um, the cars, the team seems better organised um, the team isn't so I wouldn't say weighed down but you could tell that the relationship between team and Robert Kubica last year was particularly low and when I spoke to this was even, even last year I spoke to Dave Robson at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and I was you know, I was asking him how will Latifi fit into the team, and he's like, "He's really going to lift that side of the garage." And then he sort of like gave a look. He's like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that." But it, it was clear that you know Latifi is he's a much more sort of amenable driver. Um, him and Russell are sort of good. They're strong personalities, and they'll push the team hard. But they'll create a, a better working environment. Um, and yeah, there's just this greater togetherness, and it's just on them now to deliver a bit maybe you know manage expectations and they're not going to score i don't know scoring double figure points will be a challenge but you know the odd p9 or p10 here and there is is doable i think one of the big things that tim wright who obviously you work with um in spain you know the uh, engineer that worked with alan pross when he won two of his world championships at mclaren has joined our our technical team for 2020 one of the things he said was that um the car came out well first of all it's the first out wasn't it so the contrast the two days later whatever it was last last year but also that it looks a little bit like it should have been the car they made in 2019 so it's perhaps a little bit behind the others in terms of its sophistication and some of the, the tweaks and little clever tricks it's got on it but if it's a solid sensible car that's in the ballpark then and you know Russell will hopefully get a chance to shoot for some, you know, decent midfield, midfield positions, um, and that's what obviously that's what what we all want. I think you know, what Williams in it in in the mix, and I think we want to see what George Russell can really do against you know against 
drivers that aren't just Robert Kubica in the other car. Absolutely. Now, I think there was a little psychological message sent there to just to the team itself by getting out first in testing because obviously it's just important to to recover from what happened last year in 2019. Well, that's all That's all 10 teams. I mean, I'm sure knowing me, that order is completely wrong. Although, I mean, who would bet against Mercedes being being top? Uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's end with a little bit of a chat about what we think is going to happen at the start of the season in terms of the races that are actually going to go ahead as we record. I'm going to head to Melbourne on Sunday night. Hopefully the race hasn't been cancelled by the time I arrive on Tuesday morning. Uh, but I think judging by the travel bans and restrictions that Australia have been forced at the moment, everybody from Italy can get in. And that was the big question mark. So Ferrari, AlphaTauri, and um, uh, engineers from Pirelli, as well as uh, people coming from Japan. There were also question marks uh, with Honda personnel. But uh, as of now, the race is on. Uh, the same with Bahrain, although they announced yesterday that they're restricting ticket sales and there's more question marks going on about that race. And then the third race of the season is Vietnam, which would be a serious issue because that's that's or more, more of a serious issue because that's going closer to where the epicentre of all this is happening. Uh, and also from just from a UK point of view, you, you basically have to self-quarantine if you go any if you go to Vietnam uh, when you return. So, um, so yeah, so as, as, as we think, the season will get underway, uh, but potentially bigger hurdles with the European races coming later in the season. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to change every day, doesn't it? Jake's been putting different stories up from different categories, <laughs> and uh, um, obviously the MotoGP opener was was cancelled in Qatar, wasn't it? Um, although Moto Two and Moto Three is happening they're because already, they're, they're there already, already. There, so yes, yes. so so that's fine because of the yeah the quarantine restrictions. And um, yeah, the, I think the latest is that Australia is is likely, Bahrain's possible, Vietnam is unlikely, and then by the time we get to the European season, all of Europe will probably be having quite major restrictions and issues so that puts in jeopardy the return of the dutch grand prix um spanish grand prix and monaco so yeah those three european races could be in trouble when was the last time there was no monaco grand prix on the f1 the last time there was not a monaco grand prix in the world championship was 1954 and in 1952 it was a sports car race i see okay won by ferrari completely random piece of information (laughs) there but yeah so i mean it's obviously one of the you know I mean, well, this is obviously a much bigger issue than any one Grand Prix, of course. But of course. Um, yeah, Monaco, you know, is one of the one of the oldest races in the world. So yeah, it's um, we. I think all our focus has been on the first few rounds because obviously that's what we're thinking about. But actually, it might make, given the way things are, are spreading and developing, it could well be that the European season actually gets hit quite hard in in May and June. Yeah, obviously a very serious situation which we're uh, which we're monitoring, and obviously we'll bring you all the latest updates and news on that. And uh, everyone will follow follow the advice of the FIA and also you know the governing bodies and just essentially the governments because this is what it will come down to around the world. And uh, yeah, we hope uh, all the best. Um, and I'm sure it will be what it will be. Let's end on a bit of a, a cliche there. So well, that's our season preview episode of the Autosport Podcast. Uh, we'll be back soon with a new episode. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, JBL, for joining us. Thanks to our producer Martin Lee for editing this episode, and thank you to you for listening. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Wendy's nose cold and soggy fries are the worst. So soggy. That's why we're serving up hot and crispy fries all day, every day. And all night. 
until close. With natural cut potatoes, sea salted to perfection. Show me that potato skin. Wendy's Hot and Crispy aren't like other fries. We're your dream fry. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's Hot and Crispy Fries. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. If yours aren't, bring them back and we'll replace them. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.